Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From Offscript Media... I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, episode three, we're calling it, What's All This Then? Because you've heard on the first show, I talked to Johnny Emerman about stupid cancer and that origin story. On episode two, I spoke to some of my old school friends from high school about where I came from. And I think this show is going to tell you what this show is about and where we're going. Joining me is going to be Andrew McDowell, my COO, co-founder, and co-host, and Jen Horanjeff, the CEO of Savvy Co-op. She is an exciting, rabble-rousing, new, young advocate that's taken the world by storm. I can't wait for you to learn about her, get to know her. These are the folks that are part of my new family. Enjoy. What's all this, then? is the question posed by the title of this episode. And you are? My name is Andrew McDowell. I am the co-host to Matthew Zachary, along with... I'm Jen Horn-Jeff. And we are? We are out of patience. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. That's right. Softball. In this episode, we're going to do things a bit differently than they will be done in future episodes, in which Matthew Zachary himself will be your primary host. Yeah, because I want to know who this guy is. I just keep showing up. (laughs) that sounds like the patient motto yes just keep showing up my dad always said the squeaky wheel gets the oil but on occasion the squeaky wheel gets replaced so there's a balance here here and so this is a show that we are putting together not for the people who know who you are but for the people who don't and so let's start with your biography where did you grow up and what are the big milestones in your life that led you up to here chapter one I was born and raised in Brooklyn, grew up on Staten Island in New York City, and I went to Binghamton University to study music, which wound up becoming a potential career in uh, film scoring. And I was a concert pianist and a composer. I was accepted to USC Film School in the summer of 1995, and I was all set at 22 years old to ship off to LA and become the next Hans Zimmer. And then in the summer of 95, fall of 95 my left hand uh, experienced some weird atrophy and I lost the ability to arpeggiate which for musicians means you can't like run your fingers up and down the piano and doctors were like oh that's weird just put your backpack on the other shoulder or and uh, maybe you had a stroke probably not it's, it's nothing or it's in your head yeah. famous last words wound up being true yes so it turns out I had brain cancer which was a relief because I really wasn't crazy But at the same time, I couldn't play by then. I was having seizures and fainting spells and all sorts of crazy fun stuff when they finally took me seriously. Went back home, had to cancel my plans to go to grad school because they didn't know if I'd be alive or be able to play, let alone a few months later. 
had a massive 90s-style craniotomy and the um, Kilimanjaro of easy-bake oven radiation. Long story short, didn't die. Spoiler alert. So I want to stop you there because I think... And that's chapter one. That's chapter one, but I think what's so interesting about the patient experience... So I'm a patient that was diagnosed essentially as an infant, so I don't know anything better than living my life with chronic illness. But for those people that were quote unquote normal, healthy, living their life, and then they receive some sort of diagnosis and they have this moment where you had one life and now you have a different life. So what was that like, that sort of that, that light switch when all of a sudden all your plans went out the window? I, I, I have a natural precociousness just in, in me and I always felt like this was a speed bump, like a car accident that I would just recover from and this couldn't possibly kill me and I'll, I'll, it'll be done soon enough and I'll just get back to my world. And I think that level of, of stupid invincibility, which you're supposed to have at that age, yeah. came in very handy. Where I didn't see this as a life sentence of a different humanity. And did that change over time? Did you start to realize that your career, your life was going to be different than what you had thought it would be? I mean, I've always felt like I have a calling to help people. My father and my parents raised us very well. I'm not a money person. I don't chase billions of dollars. I had never had that aspiration. I'm a musician and an artist in my heart. I want a audience to applaud for me out of my desperate needs for fulfillment <laughs> and insecurity. So the idea of having that ripped away from me, I think, was the identity I had lost. The The path was taking you one direction and things changed. You you headed off in a different direction at that point. You did so with confidence. You did not wind up becoming the next Hans Zimmer, at least not immediately. At least not yet. Not yet. There you go. There's always a chance. There's, there's always a chance. What did come next? Panic, depression, anxiety, stress. Who am I? What am I doing out there? Dating was weird. I was impotent for a while. I was infertile forever. But my 20s were just living in the shit happens story. But so, it, so you, everybody, you, you came from a community, right? Right. One that was an extension of your family and your school and your community, uh, your neighborhood, people who knew you. They all learned that you were dealing with this. So that community was there. But I know we've talked about the fact that that community wasn't delivering everything that you needed as a person in your position, a young adult facing down cancer. Well, that's always the story, your tribe. I, have a, I needed a different tribe you know, that I didn't know I even had access to. And even back then, there weren't really many reasons. Again, the 90s. All right, let's just forgive the 90s. But this I is love the, the 90s. You're probably the only one. What? I beg to differ, but... Not do, the experiences that I Oh, yeah. Give oh, me God. those jams. <laughs> a gas shortage and a flock of seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're right that having people that understand your lived experiences, they're a very special group of people as, as sympathetic as parents and high school or childhood friends can be. They just may not be able to ever fully understand what you're going through. So how did you end up? finding those people that could understand your experiences. They found me. So I was approached by my first peer, my first tribesman, also a Jew, so a lawnsman too. But he was a young guy who had brain cancer in college 
went to Binghamton, didn't know him, and it was like this gestalt moment, like, oh my God, it's not just I'm not alone, you're my clone. And he happened to work in DC in cancer survivorship advocacy, and he said to me, you should be an advocate. And my response was, what the hell is an advocate? Take what yourself is an advocate? An advocate is someone who makes sure someone like me doesn't get robotism for brain cancer. And for those people who aren't familiar with the patient advocacy field, arena, what is it? What is it really? What does it mean to be an advocate? Again, I, I think it's, I think the allegory I'm using today is that when you entered that shit happened store, there was no greeter. Hi, Matt. Here's exactly what you do right now. And for those of us who have potentially either finished our shopping or are just used to shopping in that store so much, we have an obligation to become greeters for the next us and to build a community of people who don't judge you for having entered that store mm -hmm. that you never wanted to go into. That's how I define advocacy 25 years later. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, not only are you helping to bring in the people that are unfortunately coming into these same lived experiences, but also how can that be used to educate those people that have not and may never be part of this tribe, as you say? How do, how do you think about advocacy from that standpoint to educate the people that are not part of this group? I looked at Livestrong and I'm like, this is a really well-branded organization. They're doing interesting things about the life the life of people with cancer, not cure, not research, not doctor. I mean, there are all these, you know, legs to it. But the whole point is that we have the right to live the way we want. And that's such a universal message that people who didn't have cancer still understood what live strong meant. And I always carry that forward through the incredible breakfast club of young rapscallion Margaret Mead folks that I was introduced to in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, around what does it mean to build a movement around the life we deserve? And I channeled that entire pathos into stupid cancer. It's not about what you have. It's about how you feel with what you have in common. Advocacy, you said this to me once, is about filling in the space between curing or managing a disease and saving your life. That I distinction. That. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> so wise. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's what, that, that was the approach that you took to defining it that really made it click with me. Um, it's, it's about going beyond uh, taking care of your brain cancer and going through the entire process of retraining your left hand to play the piano. That, that is part of what it takes to save your life after it's been knocked off its trajectory. I think another important thing to think about advocacy, and I'd love to see how you're, you're sort of handling this, is the idea of sort of like the personal advocacy and how can you advocate for yourself and your treatment and your career and your life choices. And then the advocacy you're doing out into the world. So things that you're doing with stupid cancer to raise awareness so other people know that they're not alone. How did you sort of deal with that sort of duality and the struggle of making sure that you're taking care of yourself and you can advocate for your needs and then advocating for the entire community? I, I, I'll button this with a, with a great anecdote. So I was at Hopkins talking about T 
teens with cancer and meeting with these incredible high school students that were just dealing with all sorts of crap. And the nurse navigator was in charge of them. She was also a survivor who became a nurse navigator at Hopkins. And we went out for a bite with a bunch of doctors. And she said to me, I didn't know about stupid cancer until you came here. But I may never need to take advantage of this service and this community. But just knowing that they're there makes my life a whole lot better. I realized that I found my calling. I'm going to build, back then they would call it a portal or a a yellow pages or a a 411 website from scratch because I've been coding since I'm eight years old of every single young adult cancer resource, nonprofit, book, story, blog, back when blogger was a thing. This is pre-iPhone. This is pre-Android. This is pre-everything. Stupid Cancer became and will forever be the community I wished I had when I was told you'll be dead in six months. One of my earliest mentors, and I'm keen on just doing a show about her biography, the late Selma Schimmel, God rest her soul, was the first young adult cancer survivor to start a nonprofit in terrestrial radio advocacy. We're talking way back, like AM radio for cancer advocacy in the 90s. And she was offered the opportunity to take her show to digital, whatever that meant in 2006. And she said, I'd rather just give this to Matt. He'd be a better guy to get behind the mic and be angry because I have my nonprofit to run. So Selma basically gave me the chance to do a radio show on the internet that was live. Live. Remember live? Not streaming. Live. You turn it on. It's there. You miss it. It's gone. That was live. So the stupid cancer show was created in March of 2007 when Selma said, let's figure out how to set this up. And for the next couple of months, I'm talking to the Livestrong people. I'm going to start a nonprofit and the radio show is going to be the voice of our movement. And they were like, really? Okay, Matt's going to go do that. Let's all get on Matt's show. So the stupid cancer show became the defining kickstart to the young adult cancer movement. And over the course of hundreds of shows and thousands of interviews with incredible people and millions of people listening to it around the world, it became this voice before podcasts were a voice, before anyone could snap their fingers and just get behind a mic and say what they want, before YouTube, before everything. And full circle on that, when I stepped down as CEO, so did the show. So the stupid cancer show was sunset upon my departure and I missed being behind the microphone. But the question is, don't just start a podcast, figure out how do you make a living creating podcasts and leveraging the power of a voice in advocacy and buttoning that up. I looked at the podcast landscape in this country. I looked at the podcast landscape in this country and I look at Gimlet and Crooked and Luminary and the amazing ecosystem of audio engagement, the golden age of audio in your pocket, FDR's fireside chats on your commute. None of it was looking at it through the lens of a global patient advocate voice. And over the last year, I have been ideating with a ton of people from my community on what could I possibly bring to market that echoes everything stupid cancer stood for, echoes everything we fought for between 2002 and 2019 
to give equity, voice, and dignity to those who don't have it. That's what this is all about. It's a full-blown carry forward. It's the podcast I wished I could have listened to before we knew what that word even was in 1995. And what's unique, I believe, about this is this isn't just cancer we're talking about now. That no. You are looking to create a, a larger voice and community for people across all conditions and all walks of life. My aspiration for this company, for my show, and for all the shows on our network and all the people we represent is we are all the voice of patient advocacy. And do you have to be a quote unquote patient to be involved in patient advocacy? No, you just need to be pissed and find a way to make a difference. Here, here. Or acknowledge that you're pissed. Maybe not just stay pissed, not like Larry, Larry David pissed, but just be pissed enough to know that you can actually make a difference and there are so many more resources and human beings out there that have got your back than ever before. That's absolutely right. And you have a growing team behind this company that you are starting. I do. You do. I'm staring at them right now. That's right. Yeah, you have, you have me. Uh, I'm your co-founder and chief operating officer, Andrew McDowell. Hi there. And Jen, you too have a role in the creation of this company. I'm excited to be able to be here and have these kind of conversations and be provocative to, to really get to some answers. As a patient myself, it's really important that we have these challenging conversations and I'm excited to have a place that Matt and I can help kind of tease these things out. Tell me about the name of your show, that Matt. I think there's a story behind it. I think out of patience, as its own internal dad joke, which could potentially be misspelled either way and mean the same damn thing is a wonderful play in words that sums up everything I feel and that the it's not a hostile disdain anymore as much as it is that we already know that we can change things and I look back at the live strong strategic plan for the advancement of the young adult cancer narrative in preserving outcomes equity and the week before I announced my resignation, stepping down to stupid cancer, I read it. And every fucking thing in that was done. So it is entirely possible to still channel disenfranchisement and disheartening realities to knowing that it is possible to do that. But at the same time, while industry is showing small signs of the battleship tipping in our direction we're still out of patience and we want shit done better and it's just bringing the conversation to the forefront so people can hear even if they're not seeing change in action that they're actually getting a window into the conversations that patients are having so you have a podcast company now that's a little bit of a pivot from a patient advocacy organization i'm curious what what drew you to think that this is the next step I think it's my natural place in the world to be behind a microphone and talk to people. Is that because you feel that you have a message or that you're trying to share the message of other people? I have a natural curiosity for humanity. And apparently I did it pretty well for 14 years. And I did feel a sense of loss mm -hmm. that I didn't get to meet and talk to and interview wonderfully incredible, inspiring people and give them the voice that they deserve to have. 
And I think that's something interesting too, because that stupid cancer, of course, the the lens is thinking about the the cancer community. How is Offscript going to deliver on the larger patient community? I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is that it's not about what you have. It's about what you have in common. Mm. And for somebody who has such a compelling story, why do you now feel compelled to tell other people's stories? I think there's an endless supply of narrative on this tiny blue marble that can be told. And you pick your lane and you try to do it as best as you can. And it's not about competition. It's about relevancy and collaboration. Community is all we have. It's all we have. And in the best sense of what makes it possible is where we see this, the sun. We see the shining lights. We see the shadow beneath the tree we built that just wasn't there before. And you're used to being the one asking the questions. I get to do that today. But why is that something that you now want to use your voice to help elevate others? I believe there's a need. There are people who don't realize they have their own potential. Mm. And we're not here to save people or tell them what to do. If you don't know that you have the possibilities, if you are unaware that you could be motivated to be the best you, I hate to sound like a Hallmark card out there. And to quote Steve Jobs, you never give someone what they want. You give them what they didn't know they needed. I didn't know I needed Craig in my life to change everything I could ever potentially see myself doing. And I'll share one of my favorite quotes with you from a a monk, Matthew Ricard, who said, resilience starts with role models. And I think about how, how are we delivering on that with a podcast to be able to share the stories and motivate people? Is that an important message for you to get out there? Perseverance. One of my favorite words. I feel I live and breathe in it every day. And it isn't a can't stop, don't stop, won't stop. It's believing that it's possible to get things done. Despite all the crap that happens to you that you didn't ask for. And so thinking about the podcast and what our listeners can expect from hearing from you and the interviews that you're going to be doing, what does that look like? How are you going to tell those stories? I hope that we produce content that patients want to listen to, that we will speak with them, not to them or at them. So if people want to be able to co-design some of this content with you and really get their message out to you, how can they get in touch? I would say send us an email, tweet us at Offscript Media. Go to Instagram, the usual suspects out there, but we will read every single email. I mean, this is really exciting. I remember when you came to me and told me that you were now on this new endeavor and it made sense that you were used to storytelling and elevating the message of other patients that using this now wildly popular medium of podcasts seems like the next step from kind of patient advocacy organization to now using modern technology to get the word out there. I think one of the things that really fueled me and my team at Stupid Cancer over the years with specifically with the Stupid Cancer show was how many times other patient communities approached us and said, 
we need a stupid this. Mm. We need a stupid that. There is no young adult cancer movement for MS, for diabetes type 1, for lupus, for fibro, for endometriosis, for Crohn's disease. For There isn't. It doesn't exist. And maybe that's because rare disease and chronic conditions have a different cultural bias or a different tone or the invisibility of things out there where it's not this perception that there's such a dire need for all of this to exist. But understanding that there was such a hunger for an emulation of what stupid cancer did is fuel for the rationale for this entire company and our network to exist. Everyone needs to feel like they belong somewhere that they did not go through this or are going through this for nothing. Crap that they go through. Like, is there another another lane that they can follow? How can they use those experiences for good? And so here you're saying perhaps that they can be sharing their stories and have a voice here within the podcast. And so to wrap up, as we get started and put this inaugural episode of Out of Patience in the can, People who are listening right now who want to participate in the building of this community that this show is all about developing, what should they do? I would say that if you already know me, you kind of know where this is going and that I love to listen to the crowd. I love feedback. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Who are the people that we should be having conversations with? What are we not discussing that we should be? And obviously, follow us on social. We're on Facebook, the usual stuff, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And we want to build this with you. I think the most compelling narrative at Stupid Cancer was that it was for you, by you, and with you every day. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. The executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our managing producer is Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Matthew Zachary. Matthew Zachary is our sound engineer. Thanks to Constance Showquist, Sarah Kottenoff at Podsites, Jen Horanjeff at Savvy Co-op, David Goldstein at We Go Health, Broth Media, and Mirrorball Agency for production support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and never miss a new episode. Help us grow by giving us a like and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow Offscript Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. To advertise on our platform and for all media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Share your comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations by emailing contact at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.